Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Titus chapter 3, if you need a Bible, there is one in the seat back pocket in front of you. And if this is your first time into the Word, um, listen, if you're sitting next to someone who can't find Titus, just help him out. Um, because we really believe in studying the Word of God, because we really believe it's the pillar and the ground of truth. The Bible says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And we want Jesus to build this church. That's why we stand on the rock of his Word. Amen. Titus chapter 3. Also, let me let you know, uh, you all received this last week, our Rise Up LA, uh, as we get ready for Easter. And I wanted to let you know, as we are putting this in places for us to be able to see and pray, um, we are wanting to get ready. And on February 28th, February 28th, here in our auditorium at 6.30, we are going to get ready to rise up to be trained. And there is going to be an evangelism training here in the main sanctuary at February 28th. And it will be also online, and our prayers that our whole body will be engaged and get ready in that way. All right, Titus chapter 3, let's go to the Lord in prayer to prepare our hearts. Our Father, we are so grateful for the truth that's found in your word, especially this truth. Because this truth is supernatural. It's extraordinary. And this truth can only be accomplished in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Spirit of God, we're asking... Would you do the supernatural in us today? Would you move in such a way that we are shaken to our core with how you want us to live our life? Would you grant us the privilege of your power to actually accomplish it? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject, speaking to Christians who are living in Crete. Remind them to be subjects to rulers and authorities. To obey, I've underlined this in my Bible, to be ready for every, note the emphasis, for every good work. Paul finds it necessary to remind them of something that he's expressed to them before. And it's important to recognize that the Holy Spirit wants to remind the church, this very church, of the very same thing. You see, there's a reason that this is a reminder. Because the church, they're struggling to do what the Lord is asking them to do. Have you ever struggled with something that God's asked you to do? Don't raise your hand. Have you ever struggled with something that the Lord has asked you to do? And there's a reason for that. You see, he's asking them to operate in the supernatural, not the natural. He's asking them to operate in the extraordinary, not the ordinary. 
He's asking them to be subject to rulers and authorities. Now, you might think that's not such a big deal here in the United States of America, but I need you to remind you who is leading the world while Paul is writing this particular letter. His name is Nero. He's the Roman emperor. Nero, if you're not aware, is known as the architect of early Christian martyrdom for the Roman Empire. What he started while Paul was writing this letter to Titus, who was living in Crete, who was under the Roman Empire, what Nero started lasted for 300 years, whereby millions of Christians lost their lives because of their faith. You see, Rome wanted to stamp out this new enemy of the empire, Christianity. They wanted to get rid of all forms of Christians. And so, according to the historian Tacitus, it all began with Nero's desire to build a palace. But the land that he wanted the palace on, well, it had homes, it had structures on it. So he commanded his soldiers to go into the area and to burn down these particular homes. Unfortunately, the fire spread through all of Rome and hundreds of Romans died. Well, that didn't go so well with the Roman populace. So Nero needed a scapegoat. Nero needed true history. Nero needed someone to blame the fires on to deflect this potential uprising that was happening in Rome. So, well, the Christians. Christians called themselves light of the world. They did it. They lit Rome on fire. And he blamed the Christians for lighting the fires in Rome. So he ordered the Christians to be public humiliated. In fact, he sewed them up. Excuse me, 1030 for just a moment. He sewed them up in animals' clothing, threw them into the gladiators' arena, and set wild dogs on them to eat them alive. But that wasn't enough. They called themselves the light of the world, and since they lit Rome on fire, oh, he would pour tar on them and put them in small cages up on a pole, and he would run through his garden, and when the tar was poured on them, he would light them on fire and say, you call yourself the light of the world, so burn for Jesus. The historian Tacitus would say, their death, Christians, Their death was made into sport. In fact, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter succumbed to the murderous campaign of Nero. That's why they and us need to be reminded by the Holy Spirit to obey this truth, to be ready for every good work. Everybody say every To be ready for every good work. That word every is very important. Because it's easy to do good things for good people or people that are in need. I mean, think about Operation Christmas Child. We all want to help some child in another country because many of us, including myself, have come from other countries of need that, well, we want to help a little kid and give him a Christmas gift. I mean, that's something that's in the heart of a person, of a human being it's a little more difficult to do good things 
for bad people. It's a little more difficult to do good things for difficult people, mean and hurtful people, or people that are in traffic. (laughs) You see, Titus was living in Crete. And can I remind you that the Cretans were known, they had a reputation of being liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Titus was living in L.A., And the nature of humanity is to repay evil for evil. So we need to be reminded to obey another nature that's supernatural. Because I want you to see what we're being asked to do to mean people. Take a look at Titus chapter 3, now verse 2. Titus 3, to speak evil. Look at the every good work. To speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, Showing all humility to all men. You see, in chapter 3, verse 2, is a, is a list. It's a manner of conduct. And it's very opposite of the normal and natural response when someone's mean to us. This characters and this conduct, it's supernatural. It's not natural. These characters are extraordinary. They're not ordinary. Imagine if your neighbor is a 49ers fan. And you got to be gentle and peaceable. Instead of you as the Chiefs fan. Now, I'm not saying if I'm Chiefs or 49ers. But you as the Chiefs fan, you've got your jersey on. They've got their jersey on. And you look at them and go, I hope you win. Peaceable and gentle? Oh, well, how would you handle this situation? True story. Fella moved into a neighbor, him and his wife, into a neighborhood, him and his wife. They decided to make welcome baskets for all of their neighbors. They delivered all of the welcome baskets to various people, the various neighbors. And one neighbor brought the welcome basket back to their house, threw it in their yard, and called the cops on them for trespassing. Gentle, peaceable, humble to that? Oh, just imagine you're living in an apartment complex. And you are in the balcony below having your devotions. Someone who's in the balcony above, well, they're a little hungover from the night before, unable to make it to the bathroom. They decide just to go pleasantly over the balcony, and it lands on your Bible. Peaceable? Gentle? Humble? Imagine if you had this neighbor. Take a look at this picture. Just imagine every time you went into your backyard, they were filming you. Peaceable, gentle, someone who's spying on your backyard. Oh, imagine if the church next door bought a sign light to put on at night. Listen, this is a true story. This is the church sign. The house, the neighbors that are next to it are 25 yards away and it lights up their house like daybright in the middle of the night. How would you go to that pastor? How would you talk to them? What would you say? Oh, I have my own story. My neighbor bought a 1965 convertible Corvette. So I thought to myself that I would bless him. 
I got my comet and my scrub brush, and I went over to the house, and I scratched that Corvette completely clean. How would you have handled me? What would you have... Peaceable? Would you have been gentle? Well, I want you to take a look, if you would, just for a moment. He says in Titus chapter 3, verse 2, here's the way we respond, to speak evil of no one. To speak evil of no one. The Greek word here is the word blaspheme. We don't purpose to hurt someone who's hurt us. The problem is, the easiest thing to do when someone's wronged us is to talk bad about them to other people. Let me tell you why. We love to recruit our team. Even in the church. Did you hear what sister so-and-so did? Can we hold a prayer meeting? I mean, a gossip session. I mean, a prayer meeting. (laughs) Did you hear what she did to me? We like to recruit our team. We want people to feel with us. We want to have and go to war with soldiers behind us because when we are hurt, we want to hurt them. I'll never forget pastor at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And this guy, he hurt my feelings. And I'm driving home and the kids were young and I'm downloading to my wife and I'm trying to recruit her on my team. And I am saying everything you can imagine. I can't believe he did this. Well, I can't believe. Well, let me tell you what his problem is. Going on and on and on, not knowing my kids were listening. So my wife says, you really shouldn't talk like that. And she goes, maybe we should pray for him. And I ended with, well, we'll pray for him, all right. (laughs) My five-year-old son at the time walked right up to the guy the next Sunday. My dad's praying for you. He says you are evil beyond measure. He says, and he repeated everything I said. I didn't know to be proud of him or to punish him. It's amazing. I was trying to recruit them all. And I learned such a powerful lesson. Speak evil of no one. Even 49er fans. (laughs) Then he says to be peaceable. There are two normal responses when we are threatened. Fight or flight. And unfortunately with fight, sometimes we go in for the kill. Our spouse says something like, could you please take out the garbage? And our blood begins to boil. Or someone at work. They pull the last proverbial straw. But to be peaceable means we let go of the desire to see them suffer. To be peaceable. We relinquish our natural right for revenge and retaliation. Now some of you are thinking of your enemy right now and your blood is already boiling. You're mad at me for telling you this. And you're mad at the person even more so. To be peaceable. Look at the next one, to be gentle. This is opposite from the word violent. I'll never forget my boys were playing basketball. The two younger boys were playing with them. And my younger of my two older boys just went in and just gave it to my son and he went rolling, falling on the ground. It was basketball. They were playing. He's playing a little rough, but he's playing. But when my older son fell on the pavement, He got up, just went out, 
biceps were, I mean, he looked like this, and he put his fist like this, and it was coming. My younger of the two sons, uh, the other two sons, they sat down on the pavement and looked, and looked at each other and said, we got to watch this. It's going to be a good one. <laughs> to be gentle when you're hurt? You see, it's, it goes against our grain. Choosing gentleness goes against even the biological process that's happening when the hormones are released that says, you better be angry. Prepare for war. Be gentle. Then he says, showing all humility. You see, this is getting rid of the prideful thought that we would never do such a thing that has been done to us. We would never do it. Because Paul reminds us of something else to humble us. Take a look at Titus chapter 3, verse 3. You're not going to like it. For we ourselves were once foolish. Stop there for just a minute. We were once foolish. For we ourselves were once disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. We used to be the same way before we came to Christ. Listen, you may not have done the same thing that happened to you, but rest assured you've made someone feel the same way that you felt when you were hurt. That's pretty humbling. And it's pretty humbling if you're absolutely honest with yourself. But there's something else to see here. This is the way that heaven looks at the world. And I want you to see this for a reason. Heaven looks at the world as foolish. People that don't want to be with Christ, he looks at them as foolish. Heaven looks at the world as disobedient and deceived. Heaven looks at the world as enslaved or serving lusts and pleasures. So that drunk that you see on the street, you might look at them as an alcoholic. Heaven looks at them as enslaved to alcohol. They can't help it. Enslaved. Living in malice. In other words, they just live in weakness and they live in envy. In other words, if someone's got something that they want, they hate them because they're hateful and they're hating of one another. No wonder when heaven looked at us, the world, Jesus said, send me. He knew we were in need of salvation. But this is not the only time in Scripture that heaven describes their perspective on the world. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Would you take a look for just a moment? And it's important that you see this. It's Ephesians chapter 4. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. In other words, this is God's perspective. He says this, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Don't look like the world. He says this, in the futility of their minds. What they think about is worthless and useless. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated, in other words, all alone from the life of God, because of the ignorance, ooh, who wants to be called ignorant, that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Please take a look at the way heaven looks at the world. They're futile. They can't even think right. They're in a very dark 
and lonely place, ignorant, blind, apathetic. Man, when you hear these descriptions of the way that heaven looks at the world, you begin to get a little pity for people who are all alone in a dark place. You begin to have a little empathy for people who don't know the Lord. You don't get mad at them. You feel sorry for them, and you feel sorry for the way that they behave. Let me tell you how I put it in my mind. The way that I put it in my mind is that the world is a 95-year-old blind woman trying to cross I-5. What do you do? When you see her, do you be like, I can't believe she's trying to cross and just hit her? Some of you are surprised I said that. But it's amazing our attitudes when the world treats us the way that they do and we're driving down I-5 and we see them and we want to just plow them over. So the reason why I look at the world as a 95-year-old blind woman trying to cross the I-5 is because I'm not going to just run her over. I'm going to pull over and I'm going to say to her, listen, lady, don't cross the street. You're about to cross the interstate. You're going to die. I want to save you. You don't know where you're headed. You see, there's a truth of the believer that if we would gain the perspective of heaven and the way that heaven sees the world, we might change our behavior and act like heaven does towards the world. Because I want you to see heaven's perspective. Take a look at Titus. Go back with me if you would. Titus chapter 3, now verse 4. Take a look. But. Stop there for just a minute. But. That's it. Because this word is very important. It's a word that completely contrasts what was just mentioned. It is the opposite of what was happening. Because God's response is completely different than our normal and our natural. Did you hear that? God's response is completely different from our normal and natural. God's response to the world is supernatural. Take a look, Titus 3, 4. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Stop there. Jesus appeared in your life and my life. And Jesus showed up in our dark, lonely, ignorant, hateful, foolish, disobedient lives and struck us with lightning. No, he did not do that. Of course he didn't. Jesus showed up in our dark, lonely, ignorant, hateful, foolish, disobedient life and he showed up with kindness, and he showed up with love. He showed up with kindness, and he showed up with love. You see, this word for love, it's the word philanthropia. It's where we get our word philanthropist. It means a lover of people. He loves all people. And he shows up with kindness even to the people that are mean to you. Because listen to what he did. He showed up with kindness in your life. He showed up with kindness in my 
life. He didn't show up with a lightning rod to get our attention. He showed up with his kindness and he showed up with his love. Think of the people that Jesus showed up for. Do you remember the Roman centurion? His servant was sick. Jesus didn't say, you're an enemy of Israel and I'm not helping you out. That's not what he said. He said, your servant's healed. The enemy was his friend. He showed up with kindness. Do you remember the Samaritan woman? Oh, Samaritans, they looked at Jews as dogs. So Jesus went straight into that Samaritan village and to his enemy, he showed kindness and he showed love to the person that hated him. Do you remember the thief on the cross? Oh, I'm talking about the thief that spit on him, according to the Gospels, and the thief that reviled him. It was later on that that thief would repent. And Jesus showed up with kindness on the cross, and he said, today, you, his spit still running down his face, you will be with me in paradise today. He showed up with kindness. What about the people that crucified him? There on the cross... He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They're ignorant. They're in a dark place. They're lonely. Because let me tell you something about Jesus. His kindness won them over. Because where sin abounds, grace always shows up. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. So all of the mean people in our lives, there's an opportunity for grace to show up. Now let me explain. Paul is just explaining to us in practical terms the way to live the life of Jesus. Let me prove it to you. It's red letters. It'll be on the screen. It's Jesus talking. Luke chapter 6 verse 35. But love your enemies. All right, everybody, right now. I want you to think of your enemy. Okay, I want you to think of your enemy at work, at school, at home. I want you to think of your enemy right now. And I just want you to give him a big old, like, I love you hug. Just hold on to him. Hold on to him as I read this. Trust me, you won't feel as convicted. Just hold on to him, okay? Just hold on to him. Love him. Love him right now. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. So no revenge, no retaliation. And your reward will be great. And you'll be the sons of the Most High. For he, speaking of his father... He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Jesus is giving us a character of his father, and he says, my dad, the father, is kind to the unthankful and evil. And can I remind all of us that you were once unthankful and evil, that I was once unthankful and evil, and evil. This was us. And his kindness showed up to us. And so in Titus chapter 3, would you take a look at verse 5? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Stop there if you would. Paul reminds us again. He didn't save us because we cleaned up. Not by works of righteousness, The Lord didn't wait for us to clean up. He showed up with kindness when we needed it most. Listen, we didn't have to do right to get saved. 
He did right for us. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And all we have to do is accept His kindness in our life and we can be saved. It was His act of kindness that saved us. And the Bible says He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So let me tell you what he's saying. Something supernatural happened when we accepted Christ. We were born again. When we accepted Christ, we were born again. Do you remember Nick at night? Do you remember Nick at night? I'm talking about John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came at night. Nick at night. Okay? Some of you are like, oh yeah, I watched that. No, no, no. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes at night. He doesn't understand this born-again thing, so Jesus breaks it down for him. Jesus answered, Nick, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, in other words, you're born from your mother, unless one is born naturally and the spirit, there's the supernatural, he can't enter the king of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. When you're born of your mom, you're born of flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, here's the beautiful thing that happens when you're born. You begin to grow, and you begin to look a little bit like your mom and a little bit like your dad, or a lot like your dad or a lot like your mom, because you've got their DNA. You've got their genetics. And Jesus is saying, when you're born again, God puts his genetics in you, and you start to look like him. You're born again. So when the Spirit comes in us, we're new. We're born again. We've got a fresh start. And let me tell you what happens in that fresh start. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a, say it with me, new creation. All things have passed away. Bitterness, anger, meanness. Behold, all things have become new. I'm now kind. I can't believe it. I'm kind, just like Jesus is. We're a new creation. Not only that. Oh, Ezekiel chapter 36. Take a look if you would. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. you got a new spirit. A new spirit. Like, you, you, you're just doing things differently with a different spirit. Let me give you an example. Do you remember when James and John went through the Samaritan village? And the Samaritan said, no Jews. No Jews can sleep in our hotels. And they put a sign out. So Jesus and the 12 disciples didn't have anywhere to sleep. But I need to remind you, the Samaritan village is right under Mount Carmel. Now, we all know what happened at Mount Carmel. Elijah called down fire from heaven. So James and John... They're really mad at the Samaritans because the Samaritans are being mean to them, slapping them in the face. <laughs> well, James and John, they look up at Mount Carmel and they remember, well, Elijah brought down fire from heaven and boom, they got a great idea. They go over to Jesus and they say to Jesus, we got a great idea, Jesus. <laughs> Let's bring fire down from heaven and burn up all the Samaritans, those mean people. You know what Jesus goes? Oy vey. You don't know what 
spirit you're of. If you're mean to mean people, oy vey, you don't know what spirit you're of. If you're unkind to unkind people, you don't know what spirit you're of. Because you've been given a new nature. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Put on your new nature created to be like God. Do you know why we've got to put it on? Because we quickly take it off when we've been hurt. We quickly take it off on heavy traffic days. And this scripture is to remind us, put on the new nature. You've been given a new nature so that when someone slaps us, we don't just slap them right back. We've got a new nature. And you know what I love about the human being? Jesus goes, listen, if someone slaps one cheek, turn the other cheek, right? You know, we come up with the third strike rule. Third strike rule is he's never said anything about the third strike. Hit me one more time and then it's coming. (laughs) We love vengeance. We love retaliation. We love to make people suffer, but we've been given a new nature. We may not always succeed, but when we turn the other cheek, we're choosing to take on our new nature. And we also have been given, since we've been born again, We've been given the mind of Christ. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. The Bible says, we have the mind of Christ. We're starting to think like Jesus. And Jesus thinks to be kind to unthankful and evil people. And we're starting to think like him. And guess what? You can practice it all day tomorrow because we live in L.A. All day tomorrow, you can choose to be kind to mean people. All day tomorrow, you get to practice during traffic. Oh, do you want to cut me off? How about someone else? Come on in. Some of you are going, are you serious? So serious that in Titus chapter 3, would you take a look at verse 6? We've been regenerated, renewed of the Holy Spirit. Speaking of the Spirit, verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, some of us are very thankful that we get to have eternal life. Yes, thank you, Jesus, you saved me. You showed up when I was unthankful and when I was evil. You showed up when I was ignorant and lonely in a dark place. Thank you, Jesus, that you were kind to me, but I'm not being kind to anybody else. You're grateful for the eternity part, but you're struggling with the kindness on earth, especially to mean people, especially to, like, unthankful people. Church, we got to expect the world to act like the world. They're evil and unthankful. Because Jesus expects us to act like him, to be kind. He expects us to turn the other cheek. He expects us to go the second mile because we've been given a new nature. We've been given a new mind. We've been given a new spirit about us. We're born again. Now, if you're struggling... 
That's why Paul tells us that he's poured out his Holy Spirit on us. He's poured his Spirit on us because he knows we need him. He knows it. In fact, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he said something to them so profound. He said this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. In other words, stay connected to me. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. So there's the, there is the product of being connected. We will look more and more like Jesus. For without me, you can't do it. For without me, you can't do anything spiritual. You need the power of the Spirit to do what the Apostle Paul is directing the church who lives in Crete They're evil beasts, lazy gluttons and liars. They're mean and they're angry. And the Christians are struggling. So he wants to remind them, I know you live in L.A., but you've got a new nature. There's a different way about you. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit so that you don't act natural, you act supernatural. You don't act ordinary like everyone expects you to act. You act extraordinary but you need to be filled with the Spirit. And all you have to do is ask. It's Luke chapter 11, and the disciples are watching Jesus' life. And they see something different about him. They see a lot of power. He's walking on water. He's feeding the 5,000. Like, he is supernatural. So they look at him, and they, they also know that he prays a lot. So they're connecting his power to his prayer life. So in Luke chapter 11, they show up and they say, hey, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? We really want to do what you do. So could you teach us how to pray so we can have this power? Jesus gives the prayer, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then he tells a story. He says this. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? And if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And the, the, the rhetorical question is, of course not. If you then being evil, that's us in comparison to the great God. We're evil. He says, if you then being evil, now what did Jesus do with evil? He showed up with kindness. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you know what I found in my life? Sometimes I find that my old nature likes to come up. Anybody else understand that? Could more than five people say amen? Because listen, when the 49ers lose, I'm going to be praying to console you. It just happened. It just happened, your old nature. What do you mean the 49ers are going to lose? The Chiefs are going peaceable and gentle. <laughs> just testing you. Sometimes I find that my old nature pops up every once in a while. Sometimes I find that the way that I used to think, I start thinking like that again. And it's usually when I'm hurt or someone has done something to me that makes me mad. 
And all of a sudden, my hormones start releasing. And I can feel the blood boiling. Ever been there before? Anybody? Anyone? Hello? Let's be honest, if anything. In front of thousands of people every Sunday confessing my sin. And you guys just look at me like, I can't believe you're like that. (laughs) And I have found now to redeem that moment. And I've used that moment to be a light, an indicator light on the dashboard of my life that starts bleeping red. Whenever I feel that feeling, that light goes off and reminds me, ask for the Spirit now. Corey Timboon. During World War II, her entire family died in a concentration camp. She was not Jewish. Her father was a strong believer and went to the family and told them that they were going to hide Jews during World War II. They got caught. Corey, along with her whole family, went to concentration camps, and Corey was the only one that lived. Speaking here in California, a German man walked up to her and it was the soldier that killed her sister. Rage began to boil inside of her. Anger and frustration, she confessed, I wanted to kill him. And in that moment, the indicator light went off on her dashboard. And she said, Jesus, I can't love him, but I know you can through me. And I can't forgive him, but I know you can forgive him through me. So Spirit of God, flow through me now. And when he reached out his hand, she spread her arms. She hugged that man. I know what the Spirit of God is asking us to do in L.A. will require the Spirit of God. And so I'm going to read to you Titus chapter 3.8 from the New Living Translation. This is a trustworthy saying. Being kind to mean people is a good statement because it's what Jesus did for us. And I want you to insist on these teachings. You don't have an excuse. So that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good, even to mean people. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. So here's what the Spirit of God is asking us. Insist on displaying this conduct in your life toward the world by devoting yourself to practicing it with everyone, even 49ers fans. Amen? Amen. Father, I come before you in Jesus' name.
right now I'm praying for our body. Because I believe that there are Christians that need the power of your Holy Spirit. They are faced with an enemy, and that enemy's got a name. And that enemy is mean, and that enemy is hateful, and to be kind to them is going to take the power of your spirit. Could be at work or at school or even in their own home. So I'm coming before you, Jesus, and I'm asking, would you speak to the believer right now and minister to them? But I'm also praying for the person that doesn't know you. Would your kindness just show up in this auditorium and let them know you're alive? Jesus' name. Hey, Christian, I'm talking to you for just a minute. You believe in Jesus. But you got an enemy. Could be your neighbor. I don't know who it is, but they got a name. And unkindness has been your theme. Giving them the stiff arm. When Jesus was proactive and reveals of his father that his father is kind toward evil and unthankful people. Listen, kind to people that don't give credit to God for giving them breath each and every day. He says, I'm coming to save them. And you're a believer. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat in just a minute and make a statement of faith. As a believer, I need the Spirit of God. And I'm asking him right now. My indicator life is, light is going off. But I want to speak to the unbeliever as well. Because I'm going to ask you to come forward as well. Because Jesus called all of his disciples publicly. And the reason he did that was so that they could stand boldly in front of believers so when they went out into their world, they could stand boldly in front of unbelievers. And I want to speak to the unbeliever right now. And first, I want to apologize. Because you may have come in contact with an unkind Christian in your your history. And I'm sorry. I don't want to use the excuse and say that Christians were not perfect, but... We go to God for forgiveness, but I guarantee that Christian was convicted and he went to God for forgiveness. I just want to apologize for him because they probably never found you again to tell you sorry. But why would you let a human being keep you from eternal life? Because God wants to show up now with his kindness in your life. And he knows you're evil. Well, I'm not evil. Okay, just think of your history for just a minute. Have you been perfect? Anything other than perfect, according to God, is evil. He knows you're evil. He knows you've done things against God. And he's showing up right now and he's saying, I still love you. And I died for you because I don't care what you've done. I care who you become. And I'm speaking to the unbeliever Because you're not here by accident. God's brought you here. And he wants to give you a fresh start. And he's so kind. And he's so loving. That you feel him calling you right now. Even though you did what you did last night.
So as Gannon begins to sing the song, Christian, if you need the power of the Holy Spirit to love that enemy, you be the first to set an example and get up here and show. Because here's what's going to happen. Just like the first service, God's going to give you supernatural power. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't walk out of here not knowing him. You come up. And what's going to happen is this whole auditorium is going to start applauding because they used to be like you. And Jesus showed up with his kindness and won them over. And now they have been changed. Thanks for listening. And we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys and we'll see you next week.